Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Good morning. It is Friday, the 5th of January, 2024. I'm Carmen LaBerge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Ah, We are going to seek to apprehend and apply the mind of Christ as we enter into this day. So welcome to the conversation. Where in the word are you today? We are in Jeremiah 29, 11 and 12. It is, uh, these are today's Growing Your Faith verses of the day. These are probably um, some of the most well-known verses of Scripture and the most often misinterpreted and misapplied. So I'll just go ahead and tell you that at the outset. So um, the temptation is, because these are printed on graduation cards and coffee mugs and, uh, you know, maybe your own desk calendar, the temptation is to imagine that these verses are me verses, that these are verses to me, that God knows the plans he has for me, um, plans to prosper me and not to harm me, plans to give me hope and a future. Yeah, well, that is true in that God is the God of all time and all space and every life and every moment and um, all of human history, including yours and mine. However, these particular verses of Scripture are not written to me or you. They are written to um, a nation called Israel in a circumstance called exile in a place called Babylon. And these are verses of assurance to God's people in captivity that indeed he knows the plans he has for them, plans to prosper them, um, plans to give them a hope and a future that if the nation of Israel, in the context of Babylonian captivity, in slavery, um, having been physically removed from their own land, um, a place and a promise that they thought was God's for them in all time and under all circumstances, but which they learned was um, actually something connected to their obedience. God says, well, then when you call on me, and come and pray to me, I will listen to you. So Jeremiah 29, 11, and 12, spoken by the prophet, the, the weeping prophet Jeremiah, to an, an enslaved and captive people, removed from the promised land by the Babylonians into captivity. Think here about Daniel. Um, that is the context of these incredible verses in Jeremiah 29, 11, and 12. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. Um, Context matters. And um, while, yes, you absolutely can receive this as the word of the Lord to you today, no question about it, God certainly knows the plans that he has for you. 
God made plans for you for the good works that you would do before the foundations of the earth. Um, God knows what lies ahead for you. And yes, God intends um, to give you a future that's filled with hope, built on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ as you are obedient to him. Um, This is not a prosperity gospel text. This isn't a, you know, God's going to open the... uh, um, the storehouses of heaven and pour them out in prosperity in your life. That is actually not what this verse is about. This is about the way God sustains a people in captivity, in the experience of slavery, in really hard times. And so as you think about applying this powerful reminder that God is in control, even when your life is out of control, that's the context into which we bring the meaning, the true meaning of this ver- or these verses forward. As you face difficulties, and you will, God's promises are still true. As you face um, realities that seem completely contrary to what God has um, promised for his people, God's promises are still true. God is still faithful. God will bring us through. If you want to look for a, an affirmation or confirmation of Jeremiah 29, 11, and 12 in the New Testament, maybe you want to look at Romans chapter 8. God is for his people. God will lead us through the storms that we face. It doesn't mean we won't face storms. Um, Romans chapter 8 is about the way in which God sustains. Um, God's promises remain true. God remains faithful, even though, even though. Um, so while life may be difficult, and I know it is in many ways, we have hope, not just an eternal hope, but a real substantial living hope today. Um, this verse is a promise to God's people that his plan is for our good. So who are God's people? Well, in the context of Jeremiah 29, God's people are the people of Israel, Um, Who are God's people today? Well, they are the people of Jesus. And so, yes, this verse does tell us um, that God is still in control, um, that his people remain his people, even when the experiences that we have are contrary to what we might imagine God's people um, would experience. So do you remember in Matthew 6 when Jesus says, therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you're going to put on. Is your life not more than food or your body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns and yet their heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? So you are of more value than the things of this world. And even in the storms, we can, we can be people possessed of the peace which passes all understanding. We can be. We can be people who sow peace in days of war. We can be people who um, are genuinely disciples of the one who is the Prince of Peace, and that is a peace which passes all understanding. In 2023, my word for the year was peace. I thought I knew going into the year, going into last year, what that word meant. And I'll just confess to you that over the course of the year, God taught me a great deal about what it truly means um, to be a person of peace, to sow peace, to be possessed of peace, to have the peace of the mind of Christ, even in the midst of a world 
at war. Cultural ideas that I had about peace um, were shredded in 2023. Um, Jesus is the Prince of Peace, yes. But Jesus came as the dividing line, not to bring peace, but the sword. So this phrase, peace, peace, when there is no peace, is also found in the book of Jeremiah. And so when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about peace. I want to talk about the Pax Romana that existed in the days of Jesus. And I want to talk about the Pax Americana that has existed in large part since World War II um, and really begin to ask the question, is that coming to an end? And if so, how will we live as people of peace, um, even in a post-peace world? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Here on Mornings with Carmen, we're bringing the mind of Christ to bear on uh, the headlines of the day, the headlines of our own lives, what is happening in, around, and among us. Uh, And so I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, acknowledge that as fighting continues in Gaza, um, the United States is increasingly becoming more involved militarily and diplomatically, um, not only in that conflict, but as that conflict widens um, in the region. Three uh, maybe places to keep an eye on, Iraq and Syria, um, the Houthis in the Red Sea, and Hezbollah in Lebanon. But also um, Iran, uh, the United States took action yesterday um, in Iraq against an Iranian commander. Um, This is a regional conflict that the world is actively engaged in. And so let's talk about peace and let's talk about what we know about peace and how we have experienced peace and the Pax Romana, the, the peace of Rome that actually made it possible for the gospel to spread um, in the generation following the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The Pax Romana, you know, because of the systems of roads, because of the way Rome ruled with an iron fist and uh, established a peace, uh, a, a worldly peace that enabled not only commerce, but the exchange of ideas and the movement of people, and therefore the movement of Christianity from Judea to Samaria um, to the ends of the earth, and in terms of the known um, world at the time. Um, that that peace, uh, that Pax Romana, came to an end eventually. And there was a generation who was alive when the Pax Romana ended. And since World War II, we have um, lived in something globally, you know, affectionately known as the Pax Americana, this time of relative peace and stability around the world. Um, It is reasonable as people who survey what's happening in the world to say, you know, it's possible that what's going on in the Middle East, what's going on um, in Ukraine, um, what's going on now as ISIS claimed responsibility for the bombing attack earlier this week that killed 84 people in Iran, um, what's going on in China as, as China certainly raises the scepter of, um, of, of re-engaging Taiwan um, as a part of their sovereign territory, um, North Korea, Nigeria. I mean, we could the list. The list is long, and it, and it could go on and on and on. Um, <clears throat> whatever period of peace you thought we might have been living in, 
I mean, if you're a person of sober judgment, it is not unreasonable to say we are entering into a different period of history. And I don't I don't know what to call it. It doesn't have a name yet. But let me say this as people of Christ. We are people of the Pax Christos or the Pax Christo, the peace of Christ. It surpasses all understanding. It is the rule and reign of God. It is the kingdom of heaven in the already and yes, the not yet. We, we continue to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why? Because in heaven, Christ reigns supreme, seated at the right hand of the Father, coming again to judge the living and the dead. And of his reign and rule, there will be no end. He is the Prince of Peace. We can rest assured in that, even in the midst, even in the midst of waking up in a world where war rages, not only in places to the far east or to the far west, but in human hearts right here at home. Yesterday morning, parents started to get alerts on their phones. Kids started calling. Faculty, students, and staff in Perry, Iowa, and in places like it all over the country, returned to school to start the spring semester. And one young man who should have been arriving at school for the first day of the first semester, or the last semester of his academic career, his senior semester at Perry High School, instead entered a breakfast event before the school day began at his high school, armed with two weapons, a pump shotgun and a handgun. It's notable that this building also houses the town's middle school, A sixth grader got caught in the crossfire as this 17-year-old, who is the son of Perry's municipal airport manager. Everybody in Perry knows everybody. There's there's not even 10,000 people there. Um, This young man shot the principal and several others and then took his own life. Why is an excellent question. And trust me, it doesn't matter what the answer is. It's not going to be satisfying to anyone involved or affected. I am grateful for the churches in Perry and the pastors in Perry who were so quick to respond yesterday. A vigil was held last night at the Crossroad Church of Perry, and uh, the pastor of that congregation, Pastor Rick Gates, is going to join us next. We're going to talk about how to respond as people of peace, even in the midst of this. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, host of Mornings with Carmen. I got some good news for you today. Jesus Christ is the good gift of God to each and every person. We heard the proclamation of Christmas that there's this good news of great joy for all people. Well, guess what? That means you. Jesus is the good news. He is the gift of God given at Christmas. And maybe you're saying, I don't feel so good. I haven't really received this sense of good news. Well, we would invite you to wake up to the goodness of God with 40 Days Toward Healing and Wholeness. It's Susie Larson's brand new book. Our friends over at W Publishing gave us 100 copies for Christmas to give away to you. So we'd invite you to enter to win yours now at MyFaithRadio.com. Wake up to the goodness of God, 40 Days Toward Healing and Wholeness, because Jesus really is the good news and the great joy for all people. Connecting Faith to Life, Faith Radio. Rick Gates is the pastor of the Crossroad Church of Perry, Iowa, and he joins us now. 
Um, Pastor Rick, thank you so much for being here this morning on Mornings with Carmen. Absolutely. Glad to be here. Um, Just take us back uh, to yesterday morning. When did you hear? How did you hear it? What did you do? Well, I heard very, very early in the process because I'm also a school bus driver. I had Mm. just dropped off several students at Perry High School and like two minutes or so before this happened, I was at Perry Elementary with a bus load. I'm the first bus to get to the elementary. And about a minute or so later, when the second bus pulled up, somebody came running out toward us and said, y'all are going to have to hold your students because there's been an incident at the high school. Uh, so um, I I knew a little bit more than that at the time, but I'm not at liberty to go any mm-hmm. further than that. But um, yeah, it, it, that's I that's that was how it unfolded in, in my life. Mm. Um, Perry is a small community. Can you, for those, you know, listening right now in places and spaces, not only here across America, but around the world, can you tell us, you know, describe Perry, Iowa? I mean, first of all, you're a pastor and you're a school bus driver, so you know a lot of people there, um, but it, but it's a small place. Yes, yes, it is. And it's a place where, generally speaking, people respect one another and care about each other. Obviously, like anywhere else, there's plenty of that that doesn't happen, but you know, it's a small town where where we respect each other, trying to get along and, and do our best. And um, I don't know, it's it's I'm not sure how to describe it, uh, except that it's it it is a place where we know a lot of people because in a larger city you tend to know fewer and you just kind of cloister to yourselves. And in this town, you're in the community when you're out. Yeah, and so I'm I'm confident that um, you know everybody knows everybody involved in all of this. Certainly, people know the principal. Certainly, people know the parents of um, the young man uh, who has been identified as the shooter. Certainly, people know uh, the family of of the sixth grader whose life has been lost. Um, on and on and on. Um, talk with us about responding to each and all of them, because this is something that is actively affecting your entire community. Yes. I think the, the response to people has to be one of compassion and, and obviously love, but also helping to spread the message of forgiveness because no single person, no person at all who was involved in any of this yesterday is an enemy. And, uh, just it's just tragic all the way around. So to help people understand that that, that we need to respond to one another from a position of, of striving for unity and and peace, even without the Lord, but especially with the Lord, and to help people understand that a crisis time like this is not a time to form an opinion about God, but a, rather it's the time to pull together and to, to seek unity and then learn about God uh, in some other ways as you go along. If you just push him out of your life, you've made a huge, a huge untimely decision. Hmm. I, um, I live just outside of Nashville, Tennessee. And um, when the Covenant School shooting took place here, um, you know, the, the immediate reaction and response in, in regard to the shooter um, was, really, really horrible retribution against that individual's parents. 
Um, and so I am incredibly sensitive to the fact that this young man has parents um, and that they are grieving today in ways that really very few people in, in the entire world can can even imagine. Um, and so I, I lift that up. Um, you know, even as you offer up the word forgiveness, I just recognize that the grief is has so many layers and the trauma um, has has so many victims. Um, and so we are absolutely going to be praying with you and for you. We want to do that this morning. Let me just ask you directly, um, you know, how can we be praying with you and for you today? I think for me personally, just for, for wisdom as I talk with people and, and to be able to to be an instrument of peace, but also for our, for our people. Uh, there was a time when things like this, people would turn out in droves to seek God. And unfortunately, today is not that day. It's a different time that we live in. And what I am really praying for is that Christians, not just ours, but every true believing Christian would live their faith very, very well so that people in this world see that and and that is what draws them to Christ. Mm. Um, would you be open to us praying for you now in that way? Be op- very open to that, yes. Yeah. Father, we come before you as brothers and sisters in Christ. We come bearing up um, our brother Rick uh, in our hands. We just, just cup our hands before us right now, and we place Rick Gates right there um, with him. Father, we place every member of your family of faith in Perry and beyond, that indeed, um, as Rick has said, their lives might so shine before others that people would be able to see you and would be drawn to you. Holy God, we do pray for peace. We pray for a restoration of peace of mind and a restoration um, of peace in this particular community. We acknowledge that perfect love casts out fear, and so we speak the perfect love of Christ um, over this in, uh, over this community today, and over the individuals in it. We do ask, Father, as as Rick has reminded us, that the church would be equipped, um, that you would use your people and places that are recognized as places of peace and worship and sanctuary, that people would be freshly drawn unto you that you would um, use what certainly the enemy means for evil and that you would use it to bring about some good, that you would, Father, get your glory. We lift up the victims. We lift up their families. We lift up the parents and grandparents and friends and neighbors and everyone who knew and loved this young man who not only took his own life, but um, the life of another. Father, you are the one who... um, can restore what has been lost, a sense of peace, a sense of security, a a sense of trust of neighbor. You are the one who can bring forgiveness where fear or terror has been sown. You can remove it. And where wounds um, of heart or body or relationship um, have been inflicted, Father, you can bring healing. And so we do pray for our brother in Christ, Pastor Rick Gates and for every other Christian who labors to tend to the hurting, the angry, the fearful, the brokenhearted in Perry, Iowa today. 
pour out every spiritual resource that they need in this day to accomplish your will. And Father, do so in the days that are now to come. All of this we pray in the strong name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And for your grace we plead this day, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Rick, um, thank, thank you. you for joining. Thank you for joining us. Um, please let us know. You've got our number. Please let us know um, what we can do to encourage you to encourage fellow believers in Perry um, in the days and weeks and months and years that um, that now stretch out before you. Okay, I will. Very, very, yeah. I appreciate your interest. I appreciate your compassion, and thank you for communicating well about the message of, of faith in the midst of strife and struggle. Well, thank you. You're on the front lines of it. And um, now that I know you're a bus driver, you know, I'm not just going to reserve my prayers for Sunday. Yeah, because that's, that's, that's big, man. So thank you. Bless you. Um, bless you in, uh, in all those endeavors. We look forward to talking with you again in the future. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. All right, that's okay. Pastor Rick Gates of the Crossroad Church of Perry, Iowa. Um, let's continue to to lift them up. Um, if you want to check them out on Facebook, it's Crossroads, plural, Perry, P-E-R-R-Y. Um, quick Friday farm report um, before we get to our scheduled conversation with our friend Dan DeWitt. Um, it's winter. It's winter on the farm. Those of you who live on the farm, you know this. Uh, the short days, the long nights— Animals need extra attention and care. Here is something that Weasley, one of our four cows, has figured out. Um, Weasley has discovered that his winter coat, which I think I described to you uh, last week or the week before, like our cows have these incredible winter coats. Like there must be a real winter coming because their winter coats are dense and thick and just they're like fluffy, fluffy, fluffy balls right now. Well, Weasley has figured out that his winter coat is sufficiently thick and long um, that that electric fence, yeah, no longer a deterrent. So he's just walking through it. Um, Why? Well, because Jim, you know, has this deer habitat that he's made. And so there's acres of clover and turnips and corn still, you know, on the stalk, dried corn. So it's hard to be mad at a cow who is just like, hey, look at all that green stuff over there. Uh, you know, outside of my fence line. So anyway, um, if you've never lived on a farm, then uh, then <laughs> then you may not know that the electric fence is only effective uh, when they don't have their second uh, coat of hair for the winter. Um, if you've never lived on a farm, you may not also not know that winter is not exactly a season of rest. There's a lot of uh, deferred maintenance. Tis the season for repairs and replacement and cleaning out and throwing away and reorganizing and preparing for spring. And yes, rest. So my favorite part of every single day this time of year is the time that we spend together as a family playing cards and dominoes and bananagrams after dinner in front of the fire. Um, we linger a long time there, and I love that. I love that. Nobody is rushing out to do something after dinner before the sun sets because the sun sets so early. Um, we are actively counting our blessing, blessings in these days. Every time we open a jar of pear sauce or thaw out a jug of apple cider from our orchard, every time we sit down and we eat something that we've raised or grown or harvested, so many opportunities this time of year to give 
God thanks for the goodness of his creation. So let's be people of, um, of gratitude and thanksgiving uh, in this new year. Um, I offer up, now thank we all our God with hearts and hands and voices who wondrous things has done in whom this world rejoices. May this bounteous God through all our life be near us with ever joyful hearts and blessed peace to cheer us, to keep us in his grace and guide us when perplexed and free us from all ills of this world and the next. All praise and thanks to God, the Father now be given, the Son and Spirit blessed, who reign in highest heaven, the one eternal God, whom heaven and earth adore. For thus it was, is now, and shall be evermore. Our brother Dan DeWitt is going to join us next from Theolatte.com. Yes, he might have a short rant for the next generation. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. I don't know what happened to Dan DeWitt um, over the last few weeks, but he got old. Mm-hmm. He's now screaming, <laughs> get off my lawn! Uh, Daniel DeWitt of Theolatte.com. He's also the director for the Center for Worldview and Culture at Southwest Baptist University. Dude, what happened? <laughs> I'm old. I'm a grumpy old man. <laughs> good morning, Carmen. Uh, What's crack a Good morning. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, ranting friend. Happy, ha- <laughs> Happiest of New Year's to you, Carmen. Uh, Hey, okay, remind me, how old your kids are? Like, your kids are how old? Because you're not old enough to be this old, is what I have to say today. So, 17, 17, 13, and 10. Yeah, okay. So, you're a young guy with young uh, young people in your Uh, life. And so, what you're writing here is to fellow Christian leaders about how we are yeah. speaking to and engaging with that emerging generation. So really, I think, when, when, when I lift up the rant for the next generation from Theolatte.com, what I am reminded of is that you are a dad who wants there to be hmm. um, good Christian leadership out there for your kids. Like, that's what I see through in this. Hmm. Yeah, so, I love that. Um, deliver the and, rant. Uh, yeah, deliver the absolutely. rant. Absolutely. Oh, well, so here's the rant, and it's short. So it's um, from time to time I do rant, you know, and they're not always serious, but this one was a bit more serious. Dear Christian leaders, if you want to invest in the next generation, you should know they don't care about any of that stuff that really isn't thoroughly Christian. They saw the leaders with long lists of extra biblical stuff totally crash and burn, plunder, abuse, and exploit, all while climbing the denominational ranks. Many who still stand on platforms and fill. Oh, I didn't know if we lost Dan or if I had disappeared. So um, Dan will very dutifully reconnect. And I will remind you that you can read along with us what uh, he has been reading at Theo Latte dot com where he regularly blogs. Um, and while we're waiting to reconnect with Dan, I this was um, uh, a headline that I had pulled up and then I didn't have anywhere in my notes on how to actually integrate it. So look, God provided time. So did you know um, that book binders are saving Bibles one at a time and that Bible rebinding has like become 
I mean, a small industry, but a little bit of a small booming industry. I love, I love this. Um, if you have an old family Bible, if you have, you know, like your grandmother's Bible, your grandfather's Bible, you love that their hands held that. You love the marginal notes that they made. But really, the Bible needs to be rebound because if it's like mine, um, there's definitely pages that, you know, they're no longer like thoroughly attached in there. And there's whole sections in the back that aren't connected anymore. I just got to confess that to you. Um, well, so I, I just really appreciate that rebinding Bibles has become like a thing. And that's so cool. Um, so I wanted to lift that little special note up to you today. And and also say that if you are a grandparent, um, keep more than one Bible going so that more than one grandchild can uh, can have in their hands the word that you held in yours. All right. Dan DeWitt is back. Um, apparently, technology <laughs> interrupted your rant, but let's get back to it. Sometimes people tune me out when I rant, so that's totally understandable. <laughs> I'm like, well, Carmen's heard enough. <laughs> so I, I say that, you know, um, if you really want to reach this generation, it's not going to be through this veneer of all this stuff that's not thoroughly Christian. Um, and so this generation has heard their parents talk about how they used to go to church and why they stopped. And those are really hard stories to tell, but they're harder still to hear and believe. That's that's the filter that a lot of this generation are looking through. And so my encouragement in this rant is be just be real. Let's let's be authentic about who we are and who Jesus is and let's cling to what's thoroughly Christian and thoroughly biblical and let's quit making priorities out of things that aren't priorities to Jesus. And I think if we do that and we're real about following Jesus as real people who are broken and imperfect and have doubts and have good days and have strengths and have, you know, the whole thing, that that's the kind of faith this generation wants to see. And so I shared that as a rant um, from an elliptical at the YMCA to be for full disclosure. And I was kind of surprised at the feedback I got, the way it resonated, some of the messages I've heard from people that go all the way back to when I was a middle school pastor, these really encouraging notes. Um, And I think that what this generation is looking for more than anything is authentic faith, because they've seen a lot, a lot of, a lot of fake, and they could, they have a pretty good fake sensor. Um, And so they're going to sniff it out a mile away. Um, so I think that judging this has become, um, easier over time, uh, just in terms of there's, you just get this feeling like, right? Like this person is too shiny in the wrong ways. Um, their messaging Mm. is too, um, polished in the wrong ways. And so you and I are not talking here about being slovenly about our, Christian witness. We're not talking about um, not putting in the the preparation that is required to present the gospel in a way that's meaningful. What we're talking about is the cotton candy um, fluff and sugar that can sometimes mm-hmm. be added um, as an you know, like with the hope of being an attractant. And we're just like, it's, it's, it's actually not about the tennis shoes you're wearing. It's actually not about how shiny mm. the stuff is on the stage or the smoke. It's not about the mirrors. It literally is about Jesus. 
And so um, how how are we judging that? Like, how am I judging how authentically Jesus-y a person is in their in their Christian mm. leadership? Yeah, I think it probably starts with all of us, like how genuine am I being, you know? Um, mm. And I think when it comes to a, a Christian leader, a, a good question, and I've, I've been a pastor, I'm not a pastor now, I'm a professor, um, although I think my mom still loves to introduce me as a preacher. Um, you know, here's my son, he's a preacher. Um, but I'm, my job is I'm a professor, but I'm a Christian leader. It's at a Christian school. Uh, the question we need to ask is, am I giving people superficial answers to really human questions, um, to deep questions? Am I just trying to give them bumper sticker theology? Or am I trying to dig into my own walk with Jesus and share something that's meaningful and real and how this looks like in my life? And I think as I do that, and to kind of come back to, you know, the that whole slogan that um, what would Jesus do, to come back to how am I wrestling with that to live in an authentic Christ-like way? I think that that's my leadership sweet spot is in that that kind of convergence of trying to follow Jesus, trying to be honest about what it looks like. And then when people who I lead look to me and ask questions to give them an answer that comes from the depth of that walk and the depth of that experience. And that can be painful and it can be vulnerable. Um, I don't think you're absolutely right. This is not a sloppy kind of, I'm just going to air my grievances. I'm going to air my anxieties, but rather it's to say, Following Jesus isn't always easy. It's not always pretty. It's not always as rewarding immediately as we want it to be. Um, so I want to talk about what that feels like with people. And I think if we did that more, we're still going to have people make in leadership make really bad decisions and fall. But I think that we might be better prepared for it if we're talking in honest ways about our struggles. And if we're talking in honest ways about what it really looks like to follow Jesus in a real world, we may find that that prevents a lot of falling because there's this honesty and transparency. And I think that probably every generation has been drawn to this, but there was certainly an era, and the pastor you interviewed earlier referred to this, an era where people would just go to church. That's what you do. If there's a tragedy and I've not been to church in a while, that's what we do. And he lamented that that's not the case anymore, even in the shadow of another school shooting. Um, I think what people are longing for today, they're not going to flock to church like they did before, but it's someone who is going to live a real life before them. And if it's pretentious and it's a big, long list of stuff that doesn't look like Jesus, that doesn't line up with what's really important in the Bible, I just don't think they care. I don't think they care. And why should they? Don't you love that the pastor who came on earlier is a school bus driver? Like, I love that. Yes, I, that is I, awesome. I know. Yep. I'm thinking to myself that every single one of those little people, the little ones and the big ones, because he he drops off, it sounds like, at, at the high school, which is also the middle school, and then at the elementary school. Um, and I'm just thinking that mm -hmm. every single one of those people who get on that bus, he's, you know, he's got an eye on them. He's greeting them by name. He's praying silently for them. Um, he probably mm -hmm. sees their parents, their grandparents. He knows which ones get off and nobody's waiting, like on and on and on. Right. I mean, I'm just like, mm -hmm. that is an incredible bivocational calling. And I love that. I love that he is a bus yes. driver.
school bus driver. I just, yes. yeah. So God give us um, more pastors like that. Right. Amen. If you're a school bus driver right now and you're listening, um, that is a mobile church and we recognize it. And so mm-hmm. um, we are praying with you and for you as you go about that incredibly important work uh, today. Come to find out Dan DeWitt is a lawbreaker. Um, he uh, is going to confess <laughs> that next uh, here in just a moment. Don't worry if you're his uh, if you are his insurance agent. This is not something that's going to get him into that kind of trouble. All right. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. <laughs> Jesus loves the little children. You guys know that. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. And right now, there are little children in the world who need Jesus. They also need things like basic food and medical care. Jesus tells us that what we do for the least of these, the little ones, we do for him. So this is your time to become the champion of one child, to change their life. When you sponsor just one child, you plant seeds of hope, and you work together with people who are on the ground to change the families, the communities, the future. You might not feel like you could change the world, but you can for one child. Meet the kids and find your child at MyFaithRadio.com. Okay, we all know that Scripture... um, Reminds us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We know this. We know this about ourselves. We know that we commit sins of commission, doing things that we actually know are not aligned with God's good and perfect will, and that we commit sins of omission. None of us is doing all the good we might do uh, in the time and with the resources God has given us. So we're all sinners. We all recognize that. We're all lawbreakers at that level. Dan DeWitt's sin confessed Uh, In his blog, trusting people who the U.S. government tells him ought not be trusted. That is is your sin. Tell us the story. (laughs) Well, it reminds me kind of like when you do a job interview and they're like, what's your weakness? Oh, my weakness is caring too much about, you know, about (laughs) doing well. You know, it's like I'm confessing something that's like a strength. Um, So... I travel quite a bit for for my job at Southwest Baptist University because that's a remote position. And then I, in addition to that, travel and speak for on occasion. And so I spend a good amount of time in an airport. And the second you walk into an airport, they begin telling you, and we've all heard this, you know, don't leave your luggage unattended. If someone tries to get you to watch their their luggage, they're probably a terrorist. Those kind of messages you just hear over and over again. And so it's it's clearly important, right? And so even though I hear it over and over again, after like 20 minutes sitting at the airport Starbucks, I will turn to some random stranger and be like, hey, can you keep an eye on this for me? And I do exactly the opposite. And, um, and when you and when you and come I walk back, off, you don't, and I you leave. don't like open your bag and verify that they didn't put something in there. No, of course not. Never, of course not. No, <laughs> so, and no. I, and I'm like whistle and Dixie, you know, as I walk off, I'm like it's all going to be okay. And then, but it hit me the other day at, at an airport uh, as I walked off. I'm like, I am breaking like a federal, like the the whole the Department of Homeland Security. Mm-hmm. That oversees TSA, mm-hmm. like this is a big law, and I'm a criminal, and they're a criminal, and so I guess what I'm saying is uh, I trust criminals with my stuff. And um, but Here's the, the reason I wrote here, this because it was be kind my of rebuttal. This, funny. <laughs> this will be my rebuttal, Dan. Yeah. 
if you're already through the TSA checkpoint and the person that you're entrusting is already yeah. through the TSA checkpoint, then really it's going to be a failure of TSA. If somebody got through with something and now they're putting it in your bag, that's that's really that's that's, that's just a, really not on you. I'm just saying. Man, I I feel so validated in this moment. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I'm a good rationalizer and justifier, just in case you need to know. All right, why did you write this piece? What what is the point here? <laughs> so, well, I, I had that moment where it was just really funny, you know, like I, yeah, I'm a criminal and I trust other criminals with my things. This is this is what it means to sit at Starbucks at the airport at you know 7 a.m. on a Monday morning or whatever. Um, but it hit me that we often. I, I've been around, and you've been to like, Calvinistic, theologically reformed camps. I have so much appreciation for people and leaders in that movement. Um, I, I'm not necessarily at the epicenter of that movement like I, I once was. I, I'm now in a much more theologically diverse, where you have people kind of on both sides of the of the, these topics, right? So, someone's listening in and, and wonder why I'm mentioning these theological priorities. It's for this reason. I think sometimes those who are theologically reformed, who would have a focus on total depravity and God's predestination, um, God's election, that sometimes we overemphasize the fact that we're all sinners to the neglect of the realization that we're made in the image of God. And that not only are we made in the image of God, but that we're breathing the air of common grace which doesn't save us. That's a whole nother conversation for another time. But the fact that God is not judging all of our sin right now is common grace. The fact that we get to see a beautiful sunshine, even if we sunrise rather, even if we hate God, we get to see that. I mean, God could make us, um, you know, see the world in, in gray scale vision. He doesn't. Even the people who hate God and don't believe in God. He allows them to enjoy the sweetness of orange juice or, you know, the, the, the warmth of a cup of coffee or the, the wonderful feeling of, a, of comfort food. You know, all these great things. Common grace, um, God bestows on, on all people. Not only that, or we're made in his image, we're recipients of common grace, we're breathing that air. But Paul tells us in Romans 2, God's written his moral law on our hearts. And so every human being you see that you sit next to, they could be intending to steal your stuff. I mean, you know, we, we do need a balanced perspective, but to be reminded that people are made in God's image, have God's law in their heart, and they're breathing common grace. So for me, I wrote this just to say, let's, let's keep in mind, we are all sinners, but we all are uh, people of um, intrinsic worth and great value and great capacity. Um, and so the, I, I wrote the piece Stranger Danger to kind of balance out our view. Um, and so let's all be the kind of people that others can count on at the airport at Starbucks. And I think the world would be a, a better place for it for criminals like you and me. 100 um, percent. No question that I would be. Um, yeah, I, I would be in prison if I weren't a Jesus follower because I'm totally inclined to all kinds of naughty behavior. Um, I, I'm gonna um, tee this up for you. Have you seen Freud's last session? No, you haven't. No, okay, and so, I had right, some. I, I, I know. I'm just gonna. Yeah. You. It, it's gonna show. It's gonna be showing at the AMC yeah. West in 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 Westchester, which I realize is like 45 miles away from Cedarville, but still, I think that's not too far for you to travel. Because I think we no, want we want somebody like you to give us your take on this. Um, you know this. 
this imagined last conversation between Freud and C.S. Lewis. Like, I think you're the kind of person who um, would not only enjoy it, but bring us a good review. I will do that. And we'll plan it for next time, um, perhaps. That sounds perfect. Yeah. Yes. And it goes, there was a book, there was a book years ago that actually kind of um, hypothetically did that. So I wonder if that's the inspiration for the movie, but I will go see it. That's good. And I'll eat the popcorn and I'll get a big, a large cup. That's good. It sounds good. It sounds good. Hey, thank you, brother. Happy New Year. (laughs) You too. Thanks, Carmen. All right, we uh, we got another hour of mornings with Carmen up next. This hour is, you know, literally like in the books. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.